Okay, good. So let's go. Let's go right into it. Um, and well, actually, sorry. Before before we do that, are there any other questions about anything else? Okay, good. Um, last thing before we jump into it, I, I'm jumping in too fast today, is I'm going to post another worksheet with regard to this first assignment. And in this case, it's going to be about um, the kind of the research aspect of the assignment and the idea of an objective or super objective and through line, which is part of that first assignment. So I'm going to post that into the content area. Um, I think it's going to be in folder four. What I might do is create a new folder with just assignment information, just to, so everything is kind of collected in one place for you. So I think I'll do that. Um, if we have time today, I'll go over it. I think it, it's not a worksheet in the sense of there's activities to do. It's just kind of um, information uh, and some resources to help you out as you pursue this assignment. So it doesn't really require a tremendous amount of a surveying. But if we have time at the end of today or, or on Friday, we can talk it through. Um, but yeah, so that, that's just another another thing to do as, as part of this assignment. And hopefully this worksheet or this, this information sheet would probably be a better name for it will help you out. Okay, but let's jump into this. So, Act 1, Scene 2. All right, so let's start with the very basics. Um, what is happening? All right, so we've ended Act 1, Scene 1 with uh, Charles, the wrestler, is going to wrestle Orlando, our hero, and Charles is certainly a threat to Orlando's life, which Oliver, Orlando's elder brother, is happy about because he hates his brother. And, and that sucks. So that's been laid out. Now we get um, scene two, enter Rosalind and Celia, as well as our clown friend, Touchstone. What are, is happening in this scene? What do we learn? Mm-hmm. Yes. So what is what's the situation there? What is the, the banished father situation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So they're the people the the Duke Senior, who or Senior, who is in the woods, um, he was banished by Duke Ferdinand, and those two people are brothers, which makes their children cousins. Right, so Celia and Rosalind are cousins, and um, and that's that's why. Um, so we have in the in the microcosm with Orlando and Oliver a conflict between brothers. Right, a hatred between brothers, one is banishing the other. In the macrocosm, in the governing of this realm, we also have a conflict between brothers. 
And so the, uh, the smaller scale is mirrors the larger scale. This is kind of an envelope structure, right? Where when you, know, you open the envelope or the, the design of the play inside is kind of another version of that larger design. So that's what Shakespeare is doing here. He's kind of setting up that structure. And so we have two, two situations of brotherly dispute. Okay, and that's that's kind of the big thing. However, what has happened with with Rosalind? Why is she not in the woods? Why is she not banished? Yeah, exactly. On the on his daughter's uh, request, Rosalind gets to stay in the court. All right. So, does that last? <laughs> Thank you. All right. Uh, yeah, good. The the one word answers are uh, are most fun. What is what? What happens? Yeah, there's nothing that particularly inspires it, right? He just goes to her and casts her out. And so what is Celia's response? Yeah, all right. Christina, you have been pulling the weight for this for this class so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, please. Um, no, I, I appreciate it. That, that wasn't criticism. Uh, that was a compliment. Uh, Good, yeah, so that this is our kind of setup. We have um, two fatherly, two brotherly disputes, um, and in both cases, the brotherly dispute results in the child being cast out. And where do they all go? Yep, the woods of Arden, the forest of Arden. So that's that's this kind of not magical place. It's not like Midsummer, right? In Midsummer, they go into the, the woods and um, people are turned into different animals and, and um, affection is swapped via magic flower. Um, here, we have a woods in which, um, you know, when we meet Orlando and Adam, Adam is Orlando's servant, they go into the woods um, immediately Adam and Orlando start to starve, right? So this is a much more realistic forest than what we may be used to in earlier Shakespeare plays. But okay, so getting back to the court. Um, Orlando comes to court to wrestle Charles. What is the obvious thing that happens in the wrestling match? Anybody but Christina can answer. Yep. Charles loses. And Charles loses. And initially, uh, before the match, uh, Rosalind is sort of tasked with talking to Orlando. Um, what's the consequence of Orlando and Rosalind speaking both before the match and after the match? Yep. Yeah. This is, this is how, in the comedies, this is how love works, right? You, you meet someone and, and you, you just know it. Um, and she gives him a necklace, and she gives him kind of an, an emblem of her affection. Okay, 
Uh, and so th this is where they meet. This is how they, they fall in love. Good. Now, there's another character we haven't quite touched on yet, um, and that's the clown touchstone. We meet him in Act 1, Scene 2. So later we're going to see he's going to fall in love with a, a shepherdess and, you know, get married to her and all this stuff. But what do we see from him right now? So let's go take a look at some of the, of the, the some of the scenes. So this is Act One, Scene Two, um, right at the beginning, and Touchstone enters after line forty-two. Okay, um, and Celia's talking about you know nature, fortune. Um, Rosalind says fortune is too hard for nature. Um, da da da. Um, and here we have Touchstone. This is his his lines. I think this is line sixty three, or right around there. And this part is also written in prose. So that's another important thing. We haven't touched on this yet, but the difference between poetry and prose, which just keep that in the back of the, your your mind. We'll get to that. Um, of a certain knight that swore by his honor there were good pancakes, and swore by his honor the mustard was not. Now I'll stand to it the pancakes were not, and the mustard was good. And yet was not the knight forsworn. I'll prove you that in the great heap of your knowledge. Ah, Mary, now unmuzzle your wisdom. Stand you, for, stand you both forth now. Stroke your chins and swear by your beards that I am a knave. By your beards, if we had them, thou art. Foreshadowing. Um, by my knavery, if I had it, then I were. But if you swear by that that is not, you are not forsworn. No more was the knight swearing by his honor, for he never had any. Nor if he had, he had sworn it away before he ever saw those pancakes or that mustard. Okay. And then we skip a few lines, and his last sign of this little little beat here is, The more pity that fools may not speak wisely, what wise men do foolishly. So let's summarize that. Um, what is what is kind of touchstone saying in this scene? Okay, fair enough. So let's go. Let's go through it. Um, where'd you learn learn that oath, fool? And we'll jump down to sixty three. Of a certain knight that swore by his honor, they were good pancakes. Some like food, right? He's, he, I don't think pancakes is a metaphor for anything. It's, it's pancakes. Um, so he, he's talk, she's talking about an oath. No, by my honor, but I was bid to come for you. That's line 61. Um, and so he's, he's already speaking in double speak, right? She's asking, are you a messenger? And he's saying, no, I, I'm just here to, I'm just coming for you. And, and she's like, where did you learn that? You know, that, that you're not, a messenger there. Um, and he said, of a certain night that swore by his honor, they were good pancakes and swore by his honor that the mustard was not, so not bad, right? So pancakes, good, mustard, bad. Now stand to it. The pancakes were bad, were not, and the mustard was good. And yet was not the night forsworn, um, uh, perjured. So, per, you know, forsworn means like perjured or, um, uh, uh, lied about. Okay, and so what we have here is this kind of double play. So what he he's talking in doubles. He's saying the knight is saying that 
The pancakes were good, but the mustard was bad. However, I know that the, the pancakes were bad and the mustard was good. And if I'm saying that, and if I know that to be true, doesn't that perjure the knight? Doesn't that make the knight into a fool because he swore the opposite? And then Celia responds, how prove you that in the great heap of your knowledge? Which is, you know, how do you prove that? Um, Stand you both forth now, stroke your chins and swear by your beards that I am a knave. So knave is exactly what it sounds like, like a, a rascal, a bad person. Um, if our beards, if we had them, thou art, by my knavery, if I had it, then I were. Okay? If, if I'm a knave, then I were a knave. But if you swear that that is not, that I'm not a knave, you are not forsworn. Okay? You are not perjured. You are not lying. Right? Um, no more was this knight swearing by his honor, for he never had any. If he had, he had sworn it away before he ever saw that pan those pancakes or that mustard. So what we have here is... Um, but if you swear by my knavery that I don't have, then you are perjured, right? If you swear by something that doesn't exist, then you're, you're kind of lying, right? You're, you're perjury, lying. Then you're lying. Um, no more was this knight swearing by his honor for that he never had any. So no more was the knight uh, swearing by something he doesn't have uh, or if he had it, he swore long ago before he ever came upon these pancakes and, and mustard. So what we have here is a, a kind of classic clowning. And we're going to see this when we come to King Lear again with the fool. So, you know, be prepared for this kind of, um, this kind of rhetoric. And what it is, is he's saying the knight swore something that was incorrect on his honor. However, he never had that honor to swear upon. And so therefore, you know, um, therefore it kind of, it, it doesn't matter, right? Um, therefore it's it, the knight's, the knight's honor is something to be dismissed or ignored. And this is kind of the, the language of fools. It is, um, you know, kind of logically dense, right? They're sort of using, um, classical or, or medieval logic, um, if this equals that, then that equals this, etc., to show how foolish or how silly the rest of the world is, especially kind of upper class people or aristocratic or, or knighted people. Um, and the fool has this privileged position within these court situations. The fool can make fun of people. And we'll see again with, with King Lear, the fool makes fun of Lear all the time, all right? And in making fun of Lear, he sort of highlights certain truths about Lear, right? It's, it's the classic comedian thing when we talk about uh, comics and, and society, right? Comics are funny when they speak the truth. Here, um, you know, that, that's not quite... The, the circumstances or the stakes are much lower in the scene for Touchstone, but what he's saying here is he's kind of showing how, uh, or he's making fun of a knight. He's saying this knight never had any honor, right? And knights are almost by definition honored people. They're, they're knighted. They're honored. It, it means to be honored. And therefore he is um, showing how this knight 
is completely dishonorable, and he's doing it in the in the lowest and dumbest of ways. He's showing he's dishonorable because he um, he disliked mustard that he should have liked, and so that's kind of the 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 level of comedy that Touchstone is working with. Okay, does that help at all? Does does that make sense? How about that? That's a better question. Okay, yeah, and this is why like, watching these performances. Um, and we'll talk about the movie probably Friday in a little more detail. Um, oh, good. Uh, we'll probably talk about the movie on Friday because even if you don't get all the lines, at least when you see like Alfred Molina playing the role, you could get the tone, right? You could get what type of person this is, right? He's clearly a comic character. Um, I don't know if anybody has seen the movie yet. I, I feel like somebody's already mentioned the Kabuki scene, so... See it by Friday, <laughs> please. Um, yeah, that that was the the thing you're supposed to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying we will hopefully touch on it a little bit today, but we'll have larger questions about the movie on Friday. My 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 point right now with the movie is, even if you don't get every word, what happens with the performances? You can get the the idea. Um, and so, Christina, you, you seem to have watched the movie. Um, what was, mm -hmm. what was your impression of Alfred Molina, who played Touchstone? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's what Touchstone does. He's, um, yeah, he is, he, the, the clown people, um, especially in the comedies are, are uh, really self-interested, right? He's, you know. He wants to get married not because he has any kind of respect for the institution, but because he can, um, he can hopefully use that to bed this woman and then leave her behind. Um, he respects the standard of the court, though, because he is a member of it. So you know, the, the Celia is the daughter of the person in charge, and so you know, you you kind of cater to that person. Um, you know, but he is, he is a, a classic clown character, and he is coming from that kind of Harlequin tradition. So you could see, I think it's probably clear from him um, that Shakespeare was a reader of uh, people like Plautus and Terence, uh, of the Romans. Um, we know he went to grammar school, which is uh, the kind of level that you think it's at, right? It's, it's the kind of like, uh, he went to school up to age like 13 or 15, probably. Um, and he was probably trained in Latin and Greek and was probably reading those plays. And so the, the kind of comic character from those plays becomes the Harlequin in the Commedia dell'arte becomes Touchstone later on. And yeah, Touchstone is, um, especially by our standards, you know, a little gross. He's, 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 trying to have sex with someone. That's his, that's his big goal here and not, not get himself killed. The clowns are typically trying to get laid and not die. That's, we see this. Uh, the fool in King Lear is a little more complicated. Um, and so we'll see the, the next evolution in this character type next week. But let's keep going, shall we? So next up, we want to look at, um, Okay, we're still in Act One. Oh my God, we have to <laughs> we have to jump ahead a little bit. Um, 
So let's go into Act Two a little bit. Um, and so let's start kind of with a, a plot summary of Act Two. So what happens in Act Two? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it starts with the Duke talking to the Amians, right? Um, and, well, so where are we? Where are the Amians and the Duke? No, they're in the forest, right? They're, they're in the forest of Arden. So we are opening up scene two and we're going into the forest. I don't believe, I think this is the first time we're in the forest, right? Yeah, this is the first time we're in the forest. So act two, yeah, before they were, um, so act one, scene three, this is where they're still at the court and this is where, that's the last scene of act one. And that's where the Duke uh, casts out Rosalind and Celia says she'll go to. Okay. And so, yeah, now we're in the forest. Uh, the Duke and his kind of loyal people are with him. Um, and what's the scene like? How does the Duke describe it, right? Let's take a look at that first speech, um, which is in verse again. We've gone from... Uh, prose to verse to verse again. What is the Duke saying here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, he's saying something like that, that the woods are kind of more free. Um, he's giving, the, the metaphors he's using are courtly metaphors. So it's like the woods and the, the different aspects of it, the winds, for example, are kind of like uh, uh, advisors in the court. Um, but exactly, it's, it's kind of a new form of freedom. So um, this is line, this is line three. Are not these woods more free from peril than the envious court? Here feel we not the plenty of Adam, the season's difference, as the icy fang and churlish chiding of the winter's wind which when it bites and blows upon the body, even till I shrink with cold, I smile and say, this is no flattery. These are counselors that feelingly persuade me what I am. Sweet are the uses of adversity, which like the toad, ugly and venomous, were yet a precious jewel in his head. Right, so what does that mean? Can somebody kind of translate that for me? This is the, the opening speech in Act Two. Yeah, that, that's part of it. So they're, they're free from the court, right? What is, what's one problem with the court, according to the speech? Um, we're more free from peril than the envious court. Here we feel not the plenty of Adam, blah, 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 blah. Um, and he says, this is line 10. He's talking about the wind now. 
This is no flattery. All right, so what is one problem with the court that the that nature doesn't provide? Kind of. He, he basically, what he's saying is um, no one is going to flatter him in the woods. It's kind of the other way around. Yeah, he, no one, there's no flatterers here, right? There's no one who's just going to, who, who are going to give him compliments just for the sake of compliments. Um, what does the wind do instead? It bites and blows upon my body, even till I shrink with cold. I smile and say, this is no flattery. These are counselors that feelingly persuade me what I am. So it's the, the wind, um, the wind through his senses, through making him cold, um, they can persuade him of something. Uh, he doesn't have... Um, he, he doesn't have to listen to people just tell him what he wants to hear. In nature, the kind of elements of nature, uh, they sort of force him to do what he has to do, right? You know, if it's cold, you have to do those actions. You have to lead your amiens to take action in which you get warm, right? You know, you have to survive in the woods, in other words. And so the court, while it's a place of survival, in a place that the Duke Signor has, has failed to survive in, here in the woods, he no longer has to deal with the, the kind of deceptions of man, even though we see that he does uh, later on. Um, what he has to deal with is just the natural world. Um, and he prefers this to the court. So this is another theme that runs through the play. And if you were to, on your final paper, write on this, um, this would be something very rich that you could work on, right? Uh, the idea of the, the courtly world, the world of man, the world of, maybe not man, the world of society against the, this kind of natural landscape, right? And how Shakespeare situates those two things and the, the affordances of both, um, and this is a world, you know, this is, this is about that. Right? And in the end, um, Duke Ferdinand gives back his kingdom and he goes into the woods. Right? So this, this ends up being kind of a cycle um, th that's going on here. Uh, and we could see again, uh, I'm trying to also connect a lot of this to Lear just because I, you know, hopefully we'll see kind of through lines and differences. But in Lear, Lear himself, you know, the former king of England, uh, he goes into the woods, right? He's cast out of the court and he has to go into the woods. And the woods are, are formulated very differently in that play, right? So this is, this is a theme in Shakespeare. This is something that um, when dealing with our final papers or your final papers, we can explore together. But anyway, let's keep going, shall we? All right. Um, so what else happens? So we... we we got through the first 17 lines of Act Two. Um, 
Shakespeare takes a long time. So what else happens in this scene? So the you know the Duke and the Lords talk. Um, when is it happening? Let's say Act Two, Scene Three. Who comes to the woods? Yep. Yeah. Or let. Yep, with Adam, right? Um, and so, well, I think they come in separately, and they meet, and they then they partner up. Um, and so, you know, Adam has decided that he's going to leave the place that he's lived, I think he says 80 years, right? I think he says that he's lived in the, the court of Sir Roland um, for 80 years. I could be wrong about that because I don't, this is just from my memory. I don't see the, the reference here. So he's, he's clearly an old man. Um, he's come to the woods and he has 500 crowns that he saved up, um, which he uh, is, is going to give to Orlando. Um, this is line 45. Here is the gold. All this I give you. Let me be your servant. Though I look old, yet I am strong and lusty. For in my youth I never did apply hot and rebellious liquors in my body, nor did not with unbashful forehead woe that means of weakness and debility. Therefore my age is as a lusty winter, frosty but kindly. Let me go with you. I'll do the service of a young man. Um, and so Adam kind of petitions Orlando to be his servant. Orlando agrees. Um, Oh, here it is. This is the line uh, 69 through 76. Master, go on, and I will follow thee. To the last gasp, with truth and loyalty. From 17 years till almost fourscore. Okay, so from age 17 to age 80. Here lived I, but now live here no more. At 17 years, many of their fortunes seek, but at fourscore, it is too late a week. Yet fortune cannot recompense my better than to die well, and not my master's debtor. Okay. So, that's, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything particularly um, complex going on there. It's just, uh, you know, it's, a, it's something that's nice in Shakespeare. It's a very, you know, Adam's a fairly small role, and yet we get this kind of lovely little... Um, this little reflection on old age, right? That, you know, when you're, when you're older, you, you know, when you're an old man, you're no longer pursuing the fortunes that you did at 17. Um, and that really he's, his time is past. And all he wants to do now is kind of die honorably, right? Not be anybody's debtor and die honorably. Um, I just wanted to highlight that because I, I think it's, it's sweet. And I like how it's done in the film too. Um, you know, the, the Adam is treated uh, quite lovely in the film. But anyway, so that's what happens there. And then we were introduced to um, Rosalind for Ganymede, Celia 
for Alenia and the clown Touchstone. Oh, we've, we've met the clown before. Um, so what has happened now in scene four? Act two, scene four. Um, what is, what's Rosalind's, Rosalind's appearance? Yeah, exactly. She and Celia are just like men, right? Um, and, you know, Celia is very tired, which is definitely underlined in the movie. <laughs> you know, she it's a, it's a very broad performance. Um, and now they've come to the, the forest of Arden, and they meet um, Corin and Silvius. Um and so Silvius is is talking about what? All right, him he is talking with Corin, and what is Silvius interested in? Yeah, he's in love with Phoebe. Mm-hmm. And how does the play um, treat Silvius's affections? Or here's here's a better question. How do we compare Silvius's affections in this scene and, and really throughout the play to Rosalind's affection for Orlando? Yeah, Sylvia's street seems um, very young compared to. Yeah, okay. Uh, Trisha says that Sylvia's love seems obsessive. Um, it, it's obsessive, and it's also like yeah, it, and it's also kind of silly, right? It, it's not particularly disciplined. And later, when um, Rosalind as Ganymede meets Phoebe, what ends up happening? Does anybody remember? It's we're, we're jumping forward in the play, but you know. Ganymede. Mm-hmm. Ganymede, yeah. It is a it's a it's Jupiter's messenger. It is also a moon orbiting Jupiter, if you you know, if you uh, are interested in that type of thing. But anyway, yeah, so she, she falls in love with Ganymede. Um Good. And so there's something, um, the, the tenor of their affection is very different, Rosalind and Silvius. Um, Silvius is kind of young, undisciplined, um, and Rosalind sort of knows the rules of wooing. And this will, we see, manifest later in Act 3, when um, Rosalind as Ganymede sort of takes on Orlando. And in what way does she take on Orlando? What is her role with him in in act three until act five again i know we're jumping ahead but you know it's, it's a play we kind of have to 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 do to do that a little bit mm -hmm. yeah when when orlando thinks rosalind's a boy mm-hmm mm-hmm 
Yeah. She she teaches him. She teaches him how to woo. His wooing is sort of undisciplined. It's out of control. He's writing bad poetry and sticking it on trees. And and she's kind of like, okay, this, okay, buddy, that's very complimentary, but, you know, there's a way of doing this. Um, and I'm going to, you know, teach you how to do that. Okay. So good. So that's, so we meet uh, at this point, um, Silvius and Corin. And what's Corin's role? What does Corin end up kind of doing for them? Um, and really doing for Touchstone? Or what, how about this? What is the financial arrangement between um, that group, you know, uh, Celia, Rosalind, and Touchstone, and Corin the Shepherd? They, yeah, so they, they all get married <laughs> in, in the end, yep. Um, but they don't have any food, right? And so why can't Corrin give them food? Exactly. He doesn't own what he... He's a shepherd, right? He doesn't own his, his flock. Um... And so they, Rosalind, decides to buy the flock from the master so that they can actually get, the, get food from Corin. All right, so they're going to buy um, the, 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 flock, he, the flock and the land and all that for Corin so they can, they can get food. And so that's their initial kind of uh, where their friendship with him begins. Okay, good. So let's jump ahead because we have like eight minutes. Um, and let's get into Jaquies. So Jaquies we see earlier, but he doesn't say anything. And then he comes out in scene five. And what is, let, let, describe Jaquies, you know. What is he, uh... yeah, Trisha says he's out of mind. Uh, I'm Corin, right? I'm supposed to be talking about, not Jaquies. Okay, good. Okay. But anyway, yes, he, he, Corin doesn't have any money. That's correct. But, um, anyway, getting into, getting into the next scene or, yeah, it's the next scene, scene five, we meet Jaquies and like, what, what is the way to describe Jaquies? Yeah, <laughs> he's depressed. Sydney sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is a downer. He's a melancholic, um, Okay, and so what that means, so they had this uh, in, in the early modern period and really up until the 1660s, 1670s, there's this thing called this idea of the Galatian notion of health. And what that was, was you are healthy when different fluids in your body are balanced, which sounds gross, but you know, what, they, what they meant by this was different fluids corresponded to different emotions. So there was, um, you know, I think like blood, yellow bile, black bile, etc. And depression or melancholia um, was a product of, I think, too much black bile. So it was literally like your chemical, you were chemically imbalanced. Um, you know, the, the early modern period invented this. Actually, earlier than that, but it, it uses it, right? 
And so Jaques has got a chemical imbalance, and he is melancholic. He's a he's a melancholy. Uh, he he is melancholy. That's his kind of uh, definitive characteristic. Um, and so he says here, this is line twelve of scene five. I thank it. More I prithee more. I can suck melancholy out of a song as a weasel sucks eggs. More I prithee more. Um, my voice is ragged. I know I cannot please you. I do not desire you to please me. I do desire you to sing. Come, more. Another stanzo. Call you him stanzos. Okay. And so, Jaquies is, he's the bummer. He's, he's the melancholic. And he also never does what at the end of the play. All the other characters that we're fond of, they return to society. Right, they, they leave the forest. What does Jaquies never do? He stays in the woods. Yep, he, you know, when the new duke is coming into the woods, he stays there. And so that's something to consider. What do the woods represent? What are they, what are they, maybe not a symbol of, but what are they representative of? Um, and if that's the case, why does the, the melancholic person, uh, never leave that space, right? What does that tell you about the woods or that space or that character? Um, but in our last five minutes, let's jump more into Jaquies. And I want to jump forward to scene seven, act two, scene seven. And here is, we have in, uh, in this scene, Jaquies is two of his most famous speeches, a fool, a fool, I met a fool in the forest and all the world's a stage. So let's start with a fool, a fool, I met a fool in the forest. A motley fool, a miserable world. As I do live by food, I met a fool. All right, so what is what is he talking about? What is actually happening in this speech? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's... It's, it's you know, the, the idea of manic depression didn't exist at this time, but Jake seems pretty manic depressive, right? This seems to be like a manic episode for him. Um, and, you know, he's really, really excited um, by, by meeting Touchstone. And why is he excited by this? So it's confusing. So let's go through it. Um, let's see. Let's jump down to um, line twenty-three, and this is this is uh, Jaquie's quoting touchstone. It is ten o'clock? Thus we may see, quoth he, how the world wags. Tis but an hour ago since it was nine. And after one hour more, twill be eleven. And so from hour to hour, we ripe and ripe, and then from hour to hour, we rot and rot, and thereby hangs a tale. End quote. When I did hear the motley fool, motley is like the, the 
clothing. If you can think of Harlequins, um, you know, or uh, Harley Quinn from the, the, the Birds of Prey movie, like that motley is what that outfit is called, that design pattern is called. Um, anyway, when I did hear the motley fool thus moral on the time, my lungs began to crow like a chanteleer, a, a rooster. That fool should be so deep contemplative, and I did laugh sans intermission an hour by his dial. O oh, noble fool, a worthy fool, motley's the only wear. So Jaques kind of makes this observation that time is, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Touchstone makes an observation to Jaques that time is passing, and what do we learn from what from time passing? What is what is the thing that Jaques highlights? That all we do is rot and rot. We rot and rot, and thereby hangs a tale. So the tale of people in the world is that time passes, and as it passes, you approach death. <laughs> right? So this, you know, this is kind of why he likes Touchstone. Touchstone is sort of um, kind of ironically and, and sort of lightheartedly making these observations. And for Jayquees, this is great. This is just wonderful. Um, and so he loves it. My crows, my lungs begin to crow like a chanteleer, that fool should be so deep contemplative. And see, he eventually says, the only life for me is, is being a fool. Motley is the only wear. And so that's the, um, that's this kind of moment of mania for Jayquees, is that it, it's always going to be about kind of melancholy. It's always going to be about life is, um, you know, nothing more than this kind of drive towards death. And when we, on Friday, get to his next speech, All the World's a Stage, we'll, we'll be able to talk about that in, with regard to, you know, how J.P. sees the world. And the All the World's the Sage speech, his most famous, is, um, is kind of summarizing the life of everyone in these sort of bleak terms. All right, and that makes 11 o'clock. Um, any questions from you guys? Okay. Okay, great. And so I'll, I'll post that, um, the kind of objectives worksheet, uh, and that also has objectives and some kind of, um, I think two resources on there as to things you can uh, research. And so you are free to go. Yes, the first project, thank you. The first project is the, the acting exercise. Um, and so the, this, this worksheet as well as the, the stuff we did with the scansion um, are both pro, um, part of the, um, the acting exercise. Okay, thank you. Thank you.